Chapter 6. You know, I'm, I'm really happy you didn't croak, Gabriel. And I didn't make, mean to make everyone flip their wigs, Tink said, tagging along as I walked my bike to the shed. Flip their wigs, I asked? Tink interrupted, get upset. More and more, since a girl named Helene from New York City had moved in next door to Tink and become her best friend, Tink had started using what Daddy refers to as modern lingo. But recently, because Helene was making Tink see things in a whole different way, more than Tink's words were new. Just last month, when they'd come to visit, the two of us were walking to the movie theater when she stopped abruptly in front of a store called Lolly's Antiques. Tink's eyes had focused on the white-only sign in the window, and my cousin had frowned. Can you imagine being colored and having to put up with this injustice, Tink asked me. Helene says they don't have such signs in New York City. Of course, Tink snapped a picture of the sign, and when I asked her why, she told me she was preserving it for history. Because according to Helene's father, who is a professor of American history, whites and colors won't be segregated in the South someday, and all those things he calls Jim Crow signs will be gone. Now Tink said to me, so your parents are going to wait till after we leave to bust your chops, right? Bust my chops? Yeah, yell and fuss and get stinking mad at you, and probably take the bike away. I suppose they will, I answered solemnly. Can, can you get a bunch of pictures of me on it? Sure thing, cousin. Plus, it's all good practice for when I get hired at Life Magazine or National Geographic. Only then, I'll be off taking pics of faraway places or indigenous people. What's indigenous, I inquired as she posed me. The people who were in the country first, like the Indians were here, or the Maya in Mexico and the Aborigines in Australia. I'm already making a portfolio of my best photographs. As soon as I graduate high school, I, Tink Waldrop, am going to blow this place called South Carolina and travel the world. And that's just not me flapping my lips. I'm really going to amscray. You're really something else, Tink, I said, and then I crossed my eyes at her. And you, cousin, are off the cob. This time I wanted to pretend that I understood what she meant, but my curiosity quickly conquered my pride and I asked, off the cob? Corny. Oh, I get it. While Tink snapped away with the camera, I did my best to look as happy as I felt when I'd just gotten the bicycle, but it was hard. When she finished, I parked it in the corner inside the shed and stared at it for a while. I am just a pig-headed lame brain. I can't blame anyone but myself. I should have been paying attention. I didn't want to cry, but sadness had already sent its message to my eyes. Oh, dry your peepers and stop your sniveling, Gabriel, Tink told me, because I'm in the know about this kind of thing. Okay, sniveling stopped. Now explain what you're talking about. I'm going to give you some advice that just might help you keep your bicycle. Give first, and this is real important. Admit you were wrong. Then tell them you are so very sorry because you know how much they love you and how upset they must be. Plus, promise that you'll be extremely careful from now on. Finally, try your best to look sad all day, but especially through dinner, 
even when you open your presents and see the candles on your birthday cake, when everyone tells you to make a wish before you blow out the candles, fold your hands and close your eyes like you're praying. Make them feel sorry for you. It's a good formula, but not foolproof, meaning there's a chance it won't work. And if it doesn't, hmm, can't say, but it ought to be duck soup. The rest of the day reminded me of warm saltwater taffy, easily stretched out, very sticky, but good tasting. Obeying Tink's rules was the sticky part, making me feel like a circus performer walking a tightrope, trying hard not to lose my balance. Whenever I faltered on my invisible high wire by kidding around, a warning glare from Tink was all it took to keep me from falling. The good tasting part was how Cousin Polly and them usually make me feel, same as beams of sunshine sneaking through the clouds on a rainy day. And the stretched out part was the way the minutes were pretending to be hours until I finally figured this was only because I was anticipating the verdict about the bicycle that would be given at the end of the day. Chapter 7 When Cousin Polly, Mama, and Auntie Rita headed off to the kitchen to get dinner ready, Daddy began bellyaching to Teddy about how one of his two mechanics had quit without any warning. No warning at all, Teddy asked. None whatsoever. Found him a lady friend up in Raleigh and he was gone like the wind. Most beautiful woman he ever laid eyes on is how he tells it. Teddy grinned. Can't blame him for that now, can we? Daddy laughed and shook his head. The smells coming from the kitchen were making my mouth water. Finally, the kitchen door swung open and in no time flat, the table was loaded with steaming food. Roast beef, mashed potatoes, gravy, green beans, corn that had been shaved from the cob, biscuits dripping with butter and honey, and a pitcher full of lemonade crowded the table. Teddy nearly knocked over the pitcher as he reached across for the potatoes. As y'all can see, we clearly need a larger table, Mama said. And everybody agreed, but I accidentally smiled, causing Tink to nudge my leg under the table and shoot me a look that said, cut it out, which in turn led Annie Rita to take notice. What have you two cooked up? She asked, searching our faces for clues. Nothing's cooking, Grandmama, Tink replied. And stop calling me Grandmama. Call me Nana like you always have. Cousin Polly joined in the conversation until Miss Helen with an E. Reynolds from New York City arrived next door. Her name is Helene, not Helen with an E. And not only is she intelligent and enlightened, but she's also a gas, Tink told us, a total gas. Cousin Polly clicked her tongue. Full of gas is what I call it. Chuckles and laughter were popping up when Tink's spouted off. As usual, Mama, you're off the cob. Cousin Polly glared at her. That's some kind of cruel insult, ain't it? I'm about to jerk a knot in your tail. I scooped up a forkful of corn and interrupted. It, it just means corny. Teddy patted his wife's hand. See, Polly, don't have a hissy. And Tink, yes, Daddy. Even if you don't, can you at least pretend that you have some breeding? Changing the subject was something Annie Rita was known for. And that's exactly what she did 
She cleared her throat twice and asked me, <clears throat> Gabriel, were you aware that to have to, were you aware that to have been saved the way you were today means you likely have a special destiny? No, ma'am, I wasn't. And for a total stranger to risk his life to save yours, oh my, oh my, ain't that something? That surely leaves a sweet taste inside you, I nodded. I've heard tell that when someone saves your life, a special bond is created between you and it's likely you'll be indebted to him. So I owe him, I asked. Indeed, she replied. What'd you say his name was, Daddy asked. Merriweather, I responded. At the mention of the name, Teddy's face lit up. Fine name, Merriweather. Meriwether Lewis was the soldier and explorer that headed the Lewis and Clark expedition back in the 1800s and reached the Pacific Ocean in Teddy searched his memory for the answer and found it 1805 Teddy claims his mind is full of mostly useless facts but Annie Rita proudly boasts that her son's so smart he ought to be a contestant on the radio show 20 questions I learned about Lewis and Clark in history class but first names didn't get talked about at least I don't think they did, I told him. Don't care much about what his name is. Mighty glad he happened to be there at all, Mama said, her eyes beaming with tears again. Annie Rita patted her hand. I'm doubtful that, that he just happened to be there, Agatha. This was certainly a divine intervention. Cousin Polly rolled her eyes. But Annie Rita, who usually doesn't miss a thing, caught a glimpse of Polly's shenanigans and slyly remarked, Well, bless your heart, Polly Waldrop. Ain't you precious? It didn't sound like an insult, but it was. I'm fixing to delve into something of a spiritual importance. Is that all right with you, dear? Polly's face looked the way that Mama's does when she pricks herself accidentally with a sewing needle, I reckon. Now, now then, look at me, Gabriel, and try not to blink, Rita ordered. Yes, ma'am. As usual, she stared deeply into my eyes, and I wondered if the old soul was still in there. And, if it was, could she seem, and if she could seem exactly how old he was. But this time she peered for so long that I got fidgety, because it seemed like she was tinkering around inside my thoughts. Finally, she looked away through the open window and up toward the sky. Yes, my boy with the old soul, you most surely have a special destiny. Special destiny, I asked. Perhaps you'll have a lifetime full of exceptional good works or achieve something of remarkable significance during your earthly time. A special destiny should never be interfered with by no one, no way, no how. Suddenly, I felt as if I had stepped into a moonlit swamp. I shivered. Tink noticed. Stop it, Nana. You're giving him the willies. But Annie Rita continued. And I hope y'all can appreciate that it certainly wasn't meant to be for the very automobile sold by your daddy to take the life of his child. To me, that sounded like she was blaming daddy, so I sprang to my feet. He's not the one to blame. It was my fault for not being careful. All mine. Well, maybe some of it belongs to Mrs. Babcock for buying a Mr. Babcock for buying a car for his wife, who is the rottenest driver in all of Birdsong, probably the worst driver in all of Carolina, North and South. 
and I bet Daddy didn't even know about it. So you can't blame him, Annie Rita. You can't blame Daddy for nothing. Annie Rita calm, calmly replied, Not putting blame on your Daddy, Gabriel. Just saying you clearly weren't meant to be harmed by a car that your Daddy sold. Daddy took a deep breath. All right now, Rita, which I took to mean that it was time for her to be quiet. Annie Rita didn't take the hint and started it in again, up again. And one more thing. But Teddy cut her off and blurted. In other words, Mama, put a button on your lip. So she did. Cousin Polly giggled. Soon as supper was over, the pineapple upside down cake was placed on the table and 12 candles were hastily lit. I didn't burn it this time, y'all, Mama said proudly. As Tink had schooled me, I joined my hands together and whispered a prayer no one could hear but me. Please, God, let me please, please, please keep my bicycle. Then I finished with a loud amen. And when I looked into my parents' eyes, I thought I saw pity. With one long breath, I blew out every candle and hoped. Chapter 8 I sat between Mama and Daddy on the tan sofa in our parlor. Matching white lamps with yellow daisies painted on them rested atop identical wooden tables and cast their glow on us. Cousin Polly and them had gone. The radio had been turned off and the house had returned to its normal quiet state. As I'd expected, Daddy began the questioning. About Mrs. Babcock. Her light was green, wasn't it? Yes, sir. And your light was red? Yes, sir. So, rotten driver or not, is she to blame? No, sir. He continued to grill me. And is Mr. Babcock even a least bit to blame for buying her the car? No, sir, not a bit. Have I made my point, Gabriel? Yes, sir. Better than Perry Mason, Mama laughed. Then I spouted off some things that Tink had told me to say. I admit I was wrong, and I am really sorry, because I know how much you love me and how upset you must be. Except for Daddy clearing his throat, they were quiet and still. About the bicycle, I added, the man fixed it almost as good as new. Let's all go have a look at it then, he finally said. Together we headed to the shed, and Daddy went over it, from back to front. He's right, Agatha. It's about good as new. Yeah, he's really good at fixing things, I said. Tell you what, Gabriel, I want you to bring the almost good as new bicycle into the house and take it up to your room. Why, Daddy? I want you to park it in there for two weeks. Then what? Do you suppose that being forced to look at it day and night for two weeks but not being able to ride it will help you supply you with enough torment? More than enough. Then that's your punishment. Two weeks, he remarked. Was I hearing right? I get to keep it? Yes, Mama answered. But if we hear any tittle-tattle that you've been careless on it, it'll be gone for good. Understand? I understand. Thank you, Mama. Thank you, Daddy. You won't be sorry. I'll be extra careful from now on. I promise. I led the bicycle through the back door and into my bedroom and parked it next to the window. They had trailed me and stood together in the doorway, Mama's hand, head resting on Daddy's shoulder, another pretty picture that wouldn't, wouldn't be taken. About that man named Merriweather who pushed me out of the way, he knows how to fix engines too, so maybe he could come to work for you now that that other fella up and quit. 
Sure, Dad replied in a nonchalant way. Happy birthday. Good night. Mom came over and pecked me on the cheek. Good night, Gabriel. Sleep well. I gazed at the Schwinn Auto Cycle Deluxe and told them, Thank you for letting me keep it. Welcome, they said at the same time. Chapter 9 I was somewhere between where sleep ends and wake begins when I heard Patrick outside my bedroom window calling my name. Gabriel, 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 you awake? My eyes fluttered open. I rolled out of bed and parted the curtains. Patrick was wearing swimming goggles and grinning. His hair was wet and it was likely that he had already been to the pool where he went first thing most every morning because he got in his mind to become a U.S. Navy frogman. Where is it? You still got it or did they take it away? I knew what it was, the bicycle. As usual, the news had taken less than a day to fly around the town. I motioned for him to come around to the kitchen door. Like most mornings, the smell of coffee from the percolator filled the room. Morning, Mama, I said. Morning, she replied. That boy ever hear of a doorbell? She smiled before answering her own question. I guess not. My hand was barely on the doorknob when Patrick pushed inside. He peeled off his goggles, which left round imprints around his eyes. Morning, Mrs. Haverland, he said politely. Morning, Patrick. Still aiming to be a frogman, I see. Yes, ma'am. If the United States Navy will have me, I'll be mighty proud to serve. I'm sure they'll be more than proud. You hungry for some oatmeal and toast? I was fixing to make some. Patrick replied, You know I never turned down a meal, Mrs. Haverland. As soon as Mama got to cooking, he nudged me and whispered, Well, where is it? Follow me, I replied. And Patrick was on my heels. A Schwinn Auto Cycle Deluxe, he said, reaching out and touching it. I can't hardly believe it. Are they letting you keep it? I nodded yes. You gotta be kidding. After nearly get after you nearly got killed, my mama and daddy said they wouldn't would have taken a sledgehammer to it. Can't ride it for two weeks though. It's gotta stay here in my room where I have to see it night and day. May as well crucify you, huh? May as well. Soon as we finished breakfast and I've done my daily chores, I announced to Mama, Patrick and I are going to go to town and then by Daddy's work. She was getting her jars ready to can some peaches. Make sure you cross the threshold of this house before twilight. Yes, ma'am. Let's go fishing, Patrick suggested. Get your pole. Now, I got something important to do, I told him. I got to find the man who saved my life so I can tell him about the job. Oh, the colored man, Patrick said. So, I thought the detail had been spilled, too. His name's Merriweather, like Merriweather Lewis, who led Lewis and Clark expedition. I rambled, trying to impress him with how smart I was. Yeah, I remember. How are we going to find him, anyway? Patrick asked. Dunno. Maybe he'll be sitting right where he was yesterday. What if he ain't? Well, we'll head to Mr. Summerlin's drugstore. He might know, because Merriweather does work for him now and then. Plus, probably not another man in town has that name. We're sure to get a lead that way. It's never that hard to find someone unless they don't want to be found, right? I replied. You've had your ears turned to a lot of detective radio shows, Gabriel. He was right, I had. Mr. Merriweather wasn't sitting or standing anywhere in town as far as we could see, so we made a beeline to Mr. Summerlin's place. 
he was waiting on a customer who was filling him in on the details of his recent gallbladder surgery and lifted his shirt to show him the scar. Lordy be, Mr. Summerlin declared. I was itching to find Mr. Merriweather, and it was hard to wait while the man went on and on. Just when I thought he had run out of words, he'd start up again. Finally, I said when he left. No bicycle today, Gabriel, Mr. Summerlin asked. No, sir, not for two whole weeks, I replied. Must feel like a long time to someone your age, he remarked. Yes, sir, but at least it's not forever. Yeah, there's no end to forever, Patrick added. But right away, he asked, did forever even have, did forever even have a beginning? Mr. Summerlin looked as confused as I felt. Hmm? Was all he said. About Mr. Merriweather, I asked. Oh, Mr. Hunter, his name is Merriweather Hunter, he corrected me. I was hoping you might know where he lives, because I need to talk to him about a job at my daddy's. One of his mechanics up and quit, and he, Mr. Hunter, told me he knows how to fix engines, so I was figuring they could help each other. That's mighty good of you, Gabriel. I don't know the exact address, but I know the street and the house because I gave him a lift home one night after he'd done some work here, and it was pouring rain. Of course, it's on the other side of Holly Street near Eagle, third house from the corner, if I remember correctly, left-hand side of the street. Then, the way people do when a memory was asleep suddenly wakes up, he smacked his head and started scrolling through his card file. Filled a prescription for his wife a while back, and I always keep a record of the address and phone number if there is one. Here, here it is, Hunter, 127 Holly Street. 127 Holly Street. Thanks, Mr. Summerlin. Yeah, thanks, Mr. Summerlin, Patrick echoed, and we were off. An army of clouds had gathered above, cooling off the morning, defending us from the summer sun as we walked. Patrick fingered the chain around his neck and then displayed the silver medal that he wore day and night. Mama said, you'd, if you'd have been wearing a St. Christopher medal like mine yesterday, it's likely none of that would have happened. Also said she's going to get you next time she's in Charleston and even get it blessed by the Archbishop for double protection. I'm not Catholic, I reminded him. I'm Methodist. Don't matter. At least Mama claims it don't. St. Christopher will protect you anyways. I shrugged and replied, okay. When you get your bicycle back, can I ride it sometimes, Patrick asked. You betcha, I promised. He patted my shoulder. Two weeks ain't really that long. It'll go by in no time. I hoped he was right. Ahead, the railroad tracks and small grocery store right beside them let me know that we were about to cross into what most folks around Birdsong refer to as the other side. I come here now and then with Mama when she drops off a lady named Mrs. Master who helps her with the spring cleaning and serves when we have Christmas parties. Mostly colored people lived here, and that includes, according to Mrs. Master's, five families of Gullah Geechies who somehow made their way here from from Carolina Sea Islands, and they speak their own language. Patrick and I strolled through the other side and passed a Baptist church and a colored school, which is actually just a small house. Once, just a couple weeks earlier, when I had to bring $5 to Mrs. Masters that Mama owed her, curiosity kept poking at me until it finally forced me to peek through the windows. A single room with a blackboard and a few rows of desks was all I saw. Right then, I wondered 
why my school had so many classrooms plus a library and a playground and a cafeteria too when all the colored kids have is this one room and that night after supper i'd ask mama and daddy about it things are not always fair to colored folks daddy had told me why daddy had let out a loud sigh well gabriel You'll learn some people just feel the need to think that they are better than other folks strictly because of the color of their skin. But I say this, treat all folks, regardless of color, with courtesy and respect, and be a good person as you can be. Simple as that. Then he buried his face in the newspaper. I had taken this to mean that the conversation was supposed to be over, but my mind was still working. Tink told me they don't have segregation and whites only signs in New York City so colored people can go wherever they please. And her friend Helene's father, who is a college professor, says one day all those signs will be gone and segregation too. Daddy had put down the newspaper, glanced at Mama, twisted his mouth a little, the way he does sometimes when he's trying to decide exactly what to say. Then he set me straight. Truth be told, Gabriel, there may not be signs, but there's still lots of places up north where colored people aren't welcome at all and others where even if they get their foot through the door, they're treated in a distasteful manner. I hope to God the professor is right, though, about the signs being gone someday. Be a good thing for colored people not to have constant reminders of being unwelcome. Just imagine if those signs, instead of saying no colored allowed, said no whites allowed. How'd that make you feel? I pictured a sign like that in my mind, and the feeling it had given me was different from any feeling I'd ever felt before. I didn't know what to call it, but if feelings carried smells with them, the one I was having would stink about as bad as the time I had been sprayed by a skunk. After a while, my gaze had returned to Daddy, but his eyes had already traveled away from me and back to the newspaper, so nothing else was said. But ever since then, when I see one of those signs here and there in birdsong, I think of that smell and imagine the signs gone.